Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, my wife Cassie and I, we love to travel. One of our all-time favorite things to do, see the world, and it's afforded us the ability to see some absolutely incredible things, some things that you're really excited to see and they live up to it, and then some things that maybe don't live up to the hype, like just out of curiosity, have any of you ever been to Plymouth Rock? Have you seen pictures of Plymouth Rock? It's a rock. It's like maybe that big. Like, I don't know why they decided, like, this is a special rock that you should come and see. And, like, I don't know what I, they called it Plymouth Rock. They didn't call it Plymouth Boulder. But I was thinking something bigger, more grand. And I, I saw it and thought, oh, well, well there it is. But, but sometimes the opposite is true. Sometimes you see pictures of something or you're so familiar with something. Sometimes, as is the case for one of these examples, um, it's like the, the lock screen on your phone, but then you see it in person and it's just jaw-dropping. So the first of these examples is Lake Louise in Banff National Park in Canada. To get there was a nightmare. Right, like you, you get to Banff, but you have to you have to wait for hours to get on a bus with hundreds of other tourists, and you're thinking, "There's no way that I'm going to even be able to enjoy this." But then you get there, and because of the the geography of a lake, once you're on the shore, like all the other people kind of fade away, and it's just you and the most amazing turquoise water you've ever seen, and mountains with glaciers in them, and it's just like this is church. This is absolutely amazing. The second example of something that, that I had seen so many times, but it really lived up to the hype, that's uh, the statue of David, Michelangelo's statue of David in Florence, Italy. Again, waiting for it, we stood on a, a dirty, crowded street in Italy, waiting our turn to go into the museum. It was hot. There were all these merchandise trucks, right, selling any kind of David merchandise you can possibly dream up from, like, tearaway calendars and little tiny statuettes, all the way to, like, an apron that made it look like you were David. I was tempted, but I did not buy it. I was tempted, though. But then, so you're kind of like, you're annoyed going in, if you're being honest, but then you go inside, and the first thing that you see, you kind of go down this hallway, and there are all these, for lack of a better term, rough drafts, where Michelangelo had taken these blocks of marble and, and was starting to kind of find the human form in them. But still at the bottom, it was very clearly a rock. Like, that's a rock I want to see. Forget Plymouth. That's the kind of rock that I want to see. But then you get to the very end of that hallway and you turn and there standing in front of you is something that you've seen for hundreds of times in your life. But seeing it in person, the statue of David is massive and it is absolutely awe-inspiring. And every now and then you'll come across those things in your life. And in our gospel reading today, we see Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's kid, who is suddenly awe-inspiring and truly, I would imagine, changes the lives in that moment of those three disciples standing there. And I think there's something that we can learn in our life from this situation. Before we go into that, let's go to our God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this chance that we get to, to be here and to worship you. Lord, let the chaos of the week, everything that happened over the past seven days, all, all the distractions, let them melt away so that we can be here now in your sanctuary. Lord, I thank you 
for the chance to share these words. Lord, let them not be my words. Let this not be my prophecy from my interpretation, but Lord, let it be you speaking. I trust in you. I submit myself to you, and I pray that we would all be bold enough to do the same. Let your Holy Spirit speak in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So when it comes to our lectionary reading in the earlier service, we get three readings usually. And for the late service, we usually cut one out. The Old Testament reading that we cut out for today uh, was the story of Moses uh, receiving the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And it's very fitting uh, that that was the reading for today because there are a lot of parallels between this transfiguration account of our gospel reading and Moses getting those Ten Commandments. Here, here are some of those parallels, right? So it says in our gospel reading that after six days, Jesus takes three of his disciples, right? Peter, James, and John, and he goes up a mountain and there is transfigured, encounters God in the midst of this cloud, in the midst of all this amazing stuff. For Moses... It was six days that the cloud had descended upon Mount Sinai, and he takes up with him three people. He takes Aaron, Nadib, and Abihu, which, by the way, is a great trivia answer if you're ever at like a Bible trivia thing, right? Those are the three people who are with Moses as he ascended to go up Mount Sinai. And then from there, God speaks to him in a cloud. And one thing that I love it says that Jesus shone like the sun, that he was bright, that his lit clothes literally were white like light. And for Moses, it was actually after he came down from the mountain. He was, he was shining brightly, it said. Uh, there was the glory of the Lord shining off of him. And as we look at these two accounts, right, these two encounters with God, we think like that's the gold standard, isn't it? When it comes to encountering God, that's what we're all really hoping for. Deep down, we're all a little bit jealous of these disciples, of the, these eventual priests in the Old Testament and the encounter that they got. Because like when we say, like, God, give me a sign, we're not expecting a blinding light. We're not expecting a booming voice. It'd be nice. But like we're looking for God to show us somehow, some way that he is present. We're looking for God to, to show himself in the same way, this, this powerful mountaintop experience. Like we, we'd settle for a little bit of peace, you know, this kind of unexplainable feeling of peace, like, okay, God's with me. Um, and, and to experience this, boy, that would silence any skepticism within, wouldn't it? Any doubts you have, you'd be like, okay, wow, wow, something. And that, that's why we see in our epistle reading, Peter who was there saying, hey guys, I know this all sounds crazy, but I ain't making it up. I saw this. This guy, Jesus, who we'd been following around for a while, suddenly was just like blindingly white light. And there were these voices and there was this cloud and this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Like, guys, this is what I experienced. And we as Christians are like, yeah, I wish I could experience that. But it doesn't it doesn't just stop there, that jealousy that we have for that mountaintop experience. We encounter that in our regular lives too, right? You know, because we can look at our, this encounter with God and say this mountaintop, that's what we're striving for. But we do this with our relationships. We do this with, we look at our marriage and we're like, this is hardly a Hallmark movie. This isn't even a rom-com. Like, I don't even know what's going on here. You look at people's Facebook posts and their Valentine's Day posts and you're like, I don't see... How, how do we get that? Same thing with your family, right? You're going, I, this, this isn't Leave it to Beaver. This isn't Mayberry. I tell you that right now. 
You know, you look at how other people, their kids behave in public, and you're like, why not me? Why can't I have that? You look at your friends to kind of stay with the TV theme. You don't have Seinfeld. You don't have the Golden Girls. You don't have friends. Um, And so you're looking and saying, why don't I, your own life. Why doesn't, why am I not like these people that top 30, under 30 biggest influencers in the world? Why am I not the cover of the fitness magazine? See, what we're doing is we're comparing our lives to these mountaintop experiences, these curated, picture-perfect, platonic ideals. And we hold people to that. We say, honey, why can't you be more like that? Why can't this experience be more like that? We do the same thing in church. Like, we can't be Westminster Abbey or Hillsong United, depending on what your style is. And you say, I want to have this this powerful, pinnacle, emotional experience with God. And we're saying, I want the mountaintop, but the reality is this. Jesus of Nazareth, we believe to be the son of God, right? He, in his worldly life, was the son of Joseph the carpenter, but he was God himself. This transfiguration thing, by all accounts, only happened the once. He lived for some 33 years or so, and only one time did he suddenly gleam like lightning. All the rest of the time, he was just the carpenter's kid, walking around in a desert, sweaty and dirty. And may that be a reminder for us. That far too often we are expecting these pinnacle mountaintop moments, everything to be just right, when in reality the mountaintop, we're still climbing. Maybe we're even sitting in the village in the foothills because that's how Jesus lived his life. He, He walked around among people. Our lives, God is with us in the midst of that. Stop trying to compare yourself to this mountaintop experience and say, God is with me in the midst of my regular life. Now, we had a sermon series on this recently, so I don't want to break this all down too much. But the idea that God is with us in the valley and the with us in the storm, and he's with us as we ascend up. And yes, God is with us at the mountaintop. But there's something else that I, I want to key in on here when it comes to these two comparisons of, of the transfiguration and Moses at Sinai, right? Because it says that Jesus shone with the glory of God, right? This is coming from within. Jesus, God himself, this, this glory is shining forth and the, the disciples are like, wow, this is incredible. But Moses is also shining, not from within, but he's reflecting God's glory, which by the way, as an aside, we as Christians should be doing. People should look to us and see a shine of glory about us? Like, hey, I know that this isn't coming from you, so what's, what's the reason for the hope that you have, as it says in Scripture? And you can say, because I'm a, a forgiven sinner, because I, I know that I am loved and I know that I'm set free. We should have that shine about us. But what I love is, as Moses comes down from this mountain, he's shining. I'm sure it takes all of the Israelites kind of by surprise. But what they do, they're not like, wow, this is incredible. Instead, they're kind of annoyed by it. And I, I kind of get it. I do. Like, imagine if you're sitting in a meeting and you're trying, like, all right, well, we've been wandering in the desert for years now. Well, where are we wandering? To? And, like, Moses is in the corner of the room, like, oh, just glowing. And you're like, Moses, can you turn it down a little bit, buddy? I don't know if he could turn it off at night or else that would be really annoying, wouldn't it? Just Moses' tent is just a beacon. Like, oh, don't go. So what they ended up doing is they literally give him a veil. They say, hey, cover it up, buddy. 
you're, you're too, too much glory from this guy, so let's, let's tone it down, okay? And we laugh, but like we do this all the time. We get these good things in our lives, and rather than appreciating it for the goodness that it is, we start to pick it apart. We have to cover it with a veil. We're in a good relationship, and we go, um, there's something there. There's some sort of red flag. There's some, well, maybe, maybe she doesn't like me for who I am. Maybe she, she only thinks she knows who I am. Or we're in a friendship and we're saying, well, you know, the, the, way, the way they eat the whole, like whatever, like all these different things, like we start to focus on these little imperfections. When God has blessed us with something, we love to put a veil over it. We love to find the reason to not be satisfied. It's funny, we're always looking for the other thing, aren't we? When we're in the valley, we're saying, boy, I wish I was up at the mountaintop. But when we're in the mountaintop, we're like, something's off here. There's got to be something to this. And we look for those imperfections. We look for the things. And the world tells us, oh, you're just trying to be better. But what we're doing is we're just slowly pulling at every single thread until the rug is completely destroyed. What we need to learn to do is to let the good be good. Recognize that God gives us blessings, and rather than saying, well, what's wrong with this blessing? What can I find that will bring this blessing down, that will cover this blessing with a veil? Instead, just say, what an amazing thing. Thank God that this has happened in my life. Thank God I have this relationship for this moment. Thank God I have this friendship for this moment. Thank God I'm in this moment. Rather than asking, when is this going to end? Be there then. Let the good be good. Let life be life. Recognize that, that not every moment is the mountaintop. Not every moment has to be perfect and curated. See, I grew up at Disney World. I've talked about this before. I lived all over Central Florida, but the place I always went back to was Disney World. And so one of the, one of the things that, that really affected my later life is Epcot has uh, the World Showcase where there are all these different nations and you go and you can visit Italy and you can visit Germany and you can visit England, but the thing is, it's like an acre and perfectly curated. So then when I went to those real places, I was like, hmm, Epcot did it better. Of course they did it better. It's not a real city. <laughs> you walk around London, you're like, well, I, I don't know, Epcot did a pretty good job there. But, hmm. and, and that's what we do. We're constantly comparing things to this picture-perfect, platonic ideal. We have to let life be life. Recognize that Jesus was only glowing on the mountaintop the one time. You have to wonder, by the way, did James, John, and Peter ever, like, he starts going up a hill, they're like, ooh, is he going to do it again? Is he going to, is, is he getting a little brighter? I don't know. I don't, like, you ever wonder if they were kind of asking, like, is he going to, but only the one time. We have to let life be life. We have to let God be God. Because so often we minimize who God is because we can't understand the vastness of him. We can't understand the fact that God is everywhere, as Pastor Jason said during his children's message. So instead what we do is we say, yeah, 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 I intellectually understand that my answer should be God is everywhere, but God's at church from like 1045 until 1145. I hope it better not go longer God's there when we're there for cowboy church. God's there in the sign-up sheets. God's there when we're at rock dinner. God's there when we're doing church stuff. But God's not there on I-10. God's not there in my living room. God's not there when I'm sitting in my corner office and I'm working hard to make sure I can keep that corner office. 
we take God and we minimize him down. And that's what the disciples probably were guilty of because they'd been following this guy and they thought, okay, he's a great teacher. He's, he's a great guy. He's our friend. But then suddenly for James, John, and Peter, like, oh, he's a lot more. This guy that we've been following around, suddenly there was this voice and it was like, oh, like this guy's powerful. This is incredible. Let us never lose sight of that awe-inspiring power and to know that, yes, God is with us. Because see, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the carpenter who was living and sweaty and dirty, he also went to the mountaintop and glowed and showed the full power and glory of God. And then he took that from that mountaintop to another hill called Golgotha. He took that very same glory and willingly gave it up, was humbled, humiliated, so that we, sitting here some 2,000 years later, can be set free. So that that idea of life can be life. It's not about trying to win the favor of God. It's not about trying to, to win our salvation by being good enough. No, we can live knowing life as life because we've been set free. We've been forgiven. He took his perfect life, his life that shined as light for all the world, and then walked into darkness. That's why we know that our God is God. Let the good be good. Let life be life. And let God be God in your life and through your life. Amen.